All right, so when we think about church membership, the, the one first reason we want to study church membership is, is it's biblical. The second reason is it's uniting. It helps us to understand uh, who's in and who's out, who's part of the church and who we're, who, we're, who we're bound to in a covenant. And third, I think it's important for our community. Um, Christians who, who work together in membership in a church are able to impact their community in a way that an individual Christian doesn't. So the unity of our church depends on our membership. Being biblical depends on our membership. And also the town of commerce depends on Christians working together, binding together to reach them. Uh, The lost in commerce will be impacted more if the churches of commerce are clear on who's a member and what that means to be a member of the church. So as we think about this topic, typically my normal uh, way of going through a sermon series is, hey, pick a single passage and preach on that single passage uh, each week or, or a single book. So take a book like the book of Ephesians, preach on it chunk by chunk by chunk by chunk throughout a, a season. Um, but we're not going to be able to do that with this sermon series because I'll admit up front, there's not a phrase in the Bible that says become a church member. OK, there's no command to do that. That doesn't mean that it's not biblical. If we think of the phrase, the word Trinity, that word Trinity is not in the Bible. but We can clearly see the concept is therein. There's the father who has sent the son who died for our sins. The son prayed to the father, the father and son send the Holy Spirit. So there's this clear picture of the Trinity, even though that word is not in the Bible. In the same way, the phrase become a church member is not in the Bible. There's no phrase in there that says keep a record of the church members. There's nothing in that. But when you look at the Bible, when you look at it as a whole, you're going to see that it's clear that God knows who his people are. He wants a distinction between his people and the world for the purpose of bringing in those who are not members into membership becoming his people. So what we're going to do is we're going to look slowly through different concepts, different topics uh, along these lines. We're going to look at various passages throughout the Bible and synthesize them together to build our understanding of what the church is and who its members are. Which brings us to the first, uh, this first sermon. What is the church and who is the church? If we're going to ask, uh, if we're going to talk about church members, the first thing we need to know about is, well, what are they members of? What is the church? You might think of uh, membership. We, we think of membership a lot of times. Most of us probably have a wallet full of memberships. Or if you don't carry a wallet anymore like me, you've got an email full of different memberships you've joined. Maybe you're a Sam's Club member. Maybe you're a member of the country club. You've signed up for some email list. You've become a member of something. And as we do that, what do we do? We think of what... Am I going to get out of this club, right? You sign up for, uh, for Sam's Club. Maybe uh, we don't have one here, but maybe you've got a Costco and a Sam's both in your town and you've got to make a decision. Which one is going to be more beneficial for me to join? Is it going to be Sam's Club or is it going to be Costco? Who has the lowest rates? Who has the lowest prices? Uh, which membership lasts longer? What are some extra benefits I might get from being part of this club? You start to compare which one's going to be better for me. And you start to think, What's the smallest amount of investment I can make in order to get the greatest return on joining this club, right? That's our attitude when we think of a membership of something. We're thinking, I need to sign up, I do something, and then what am I going to get out of it? 
And I'm afraid that far too often we treat churches the same way. We treat churches the same way. It's a club that we join. We can come in at any time, join the club, and if we end up not really liking the benefits that we get from it, we'll just switch over to Costco or we'll switch over to that, that other place. Um, we'll switch over to another place to, to, to join and join in. If we have that kind of attitude toward church churches and church membership, our congregations are not going to be that strong, are not going to be that healthy. In addition, not only do church members see it like that, a lot of times a pastor or a church leader will see a church as a club to join. And if we do, then we're just trying to provide the best programming to attract the most amount of people, and that game becomes our goal. And that leads to an unhealthy church as well. So if our attitude towards church is the country club attitude, the Costco attitude, the Sam's Club attitude, that it's just a club we go to and hang out at, and if we're done with it, we're done with it. And if my attitude as the, the church leader is, what's the, what's the best possible way to get the most amount of people to make the most amount of money, what I'm providing to you and what you're consuming is a bunch of empty calories and worthless product. That's not what the church is. The church is not a club that we join, that we pay a due and get benefits from. Rather, the church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Christ, in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through the gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. Now that is a mouthful of a definition. And we're going to kind of break that down and look at that over the next several weeks. But we're going to look at that first phrase. The church is a group of Christians. The church is a group of Christians. So as we think of the church, we're going to look today at the meaning of church. We're going to look at a few different metaphors for the church. And then finally we'll land on the members of a church. The meaning of church. The metaphors for the church. And finally, the members of the church. So number one, before we hit that, I'm going to pray for us. Normally I read a scripture and then pray. So let's, let's go ahead and pray before we get into the rest of this. Father, we come before you and thank you for this day. Lord, we want to pray that as we ponder on what it means to be part of the church, what it means to be your people, that you would give us clarity and wisdom in knowing how to do this right. God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Help us to know who you are and what you expect of us as people who are called out by you, brought into your family, and connected to the body of Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So number one, the meaning of the church. The word church, the English word that we use, um, church, it comes from the uh, Greek word kyriakos, or um, it means house of the Lord. House of the Lord, that came through Greek, through Dutch and German. We turn that... Um, the K sounds into a CH sound. We softened it, and that's how we get the word church. It means house of the Lord or something similar to that. But that's not the New Testament word that's used. Um, it doesn't use house of the Lord to describe the people of God. It uses another word. It's ecclesia, which literally means assembly or the called out ones. The called out ones. This is a phrase that would be used of any kind of general assembly um, of the people, whether it was political or some kind of assembly for uh, a sporting event or uh, some kind of meeting. It would be called the ecclesia, the gathering or the, the called out people, the ones who have been called out to this meeting. It was a general term that was used in the ancient world, but in the New Testament, it refers primarily to a gathering of God's people. 
So in the New Testament, there's twice the ecclesia refers to the Old Testament people. There's three times it refers to some kind of secular gathering, like a meeting of the minds. And then 109 times the word ecclesia refers to a Christian gathering, a gathering of God's people. Now, that idea of God's people is deeply rooted in the Bible. God has always had a people. God has always had a people from the very beginning. Think of the book of Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth. And after he's created a place, what does he do? He fills it with people. He creates Adam and Eve made in his image in order to have somebody in the world that would represent him, that would look like him to show his characteristics to the world. And he told them, take that image and fill the earth with it. Fill the earth with my glory. So we go from Adam and Eve to Abraham. Eventually, people mess that image up, right? The, the people of God did not reflect God the way he intended. So they messed that image up until God said, hey, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to call one guy out. Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to make a people through you. And he makes a promise to Abraham, says, through you, through your descendants, I'm going to bless all people. So again, God has a people that he's called out for his purpose. And he's going to use them to impact the place that he's in. He says, I'm going to bless all nations through you. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. A people that were distinct. They had a common origin. Abraham was their father. They also had a common way of life. Think about from Abraham to Moses. Eventually, Moses gives the people the law, the commandments of God, this, this direction on how they are to live. Started off with Ten Commandments and goes on from there to, to fill out the rest of the law. And those laws were meant to tell the people how they were supposed to live in order that they might be distinct from the rest of the world, that they might look different, that they might be unique in the world. They had a common way of life. For a common purpose. They were to represent God among those nations. The, the, the Old Testament also speaks of the Jewish people being the light to the Gentiles. So they had a common origin as, uh, from Abraham. They had a common way of life in Moses. And they had a common purpose in the prophets, which was to be a light to the outside people. To be a light to the Gentiles. Well, we go from God's people in the Old Testament to God's people in the New Testament. That's us. We're the ecclesia in the New Testament. We have a common origin. We were all dead in our sins, lost, orphans, and God brought us in through Christ. We have a common origin, which is Christ our Savior. All of us are united because of what Christ has done for us. His death, his burial, his resurrection. We have a common origin. We also have a way of life. We look to him to be our example of how we're supposed to live our life. The law of Christ is written on our hearts. So the way we live is to become more like him. That's why our, our, our motto, our vision for this church is becoming more like Jesus together, that we would become more like our Savior. And we do that for a common purpose, that we might represent Jesus among the nations, that we might represent Jesus among the nations. That's his charge that he gave us at the end of Matthew and the beginning of Acts, right? Matthew chapter 28 says, go make disciples of all nations. Making a disciple is just making somebody that looks like Jesus. And where do we do that? Among all the nations. The book of Acts says that we're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Right here, right in this place, this is the ends of the earth. Welcome to the ends of the earth. And we are his witnesses here. 
So God's people, or so, so church is just a gathering of God's people. And who are God's people? Those who have Christ as their Savior and who are trying to live like Christ and finish the mission of Christ. Those who are saved by Christ, living like Christ, trying to finish the mission of Christ. That's the meaning of church. That's the meaning of ecclesia, this group of people who are called out of the world to band together. What are some of the metaphors that we see? Number two, what are some of the metaphors for church that we see in the Bible? If you have a Bible, we're going to look at three different sections here real quick. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy is right before 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at this first metaphor for the church that we're going to look at. The family of God, the family of God. Chapter 3. Verse 14, it says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That household, that word there is oikos, the the word for just a family home. The household of God, which is the church or the ecclesia of the living God. So you can see those two words are in there. This, This idea of home, family, That you might know how to behave in the home of God, which is his ecclesia, his called out people of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So the first metaphor for us in the Bible is a family. A church is a family. It's a people that are united, who, again, have a common common ancestor, common interests, common goals, people who live together, spend time with one another. So what that means is if you're part of a a church, you're part of a family. And the moment you become part of this family, you inherit a, a, a world of brothers and sisters. You guys know what they say about getting married, right? If you're marrying a person, you're actually marrying their family as well. The moment I said I do uh, to Whitney, she became an Osborne. But in some sense, I became a Douthat as well, right? I inherited all of her family. Um, they became my family in that moment we said, I do. In the same way, my family became her family. When you become a Christian, in that moment, you are automatically brought into the family of God. You inherit uh, a whole history of brothers and sisters. Your ancestry now doesn't just track to your, your um, physical heritage, but it goes all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Our, our spiritual heritage is with those saints from the Old Testament. So we're called a family in the New Testament. Second, we're called a temple. Go a few books to the right to 1 Peter chapter 2. Just a few books to the right to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read a good chunk here. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. Peter says to them, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones. Uh, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So Peter refers to each and every single one of us as a spiritual brick that's being joined together, built up as what? 
a spiritual house. It goes on from there to be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, you can see that word, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this passage, again, we're referred to as individual things, a brick, that's being joined together to build something bigger and greater. A house, a, 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 a place for the Spirit to dwell. It refers to us not only as a house, but also as a nation, a people that are chosen for His own possession, those who are called out according to His purpose. We had not received mercy, but now we have. We were not a people, but now we are. So we're referred to in this passage as a temple, a house for the Lord. And then finally, we're not going to turn there because Whitney already read it for us. We're referred to in in the Bible as a family of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit, and finally, the body of Christ. The body of Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 refers to us as. The body of Christ. It says in that passage that a body, like a body, a church has many members. You have a hand, a foot, an eye, an ear, a nose, and each one of those members has a different role to play. Yet, when they all come together, they form one body. It says the same thing is spoken of us as as believers. We are joined together as the body of Christ. He is our head, and we are his, his members who do his bidding. We're following out. We're, we're following what he would have us do, what he commands us to do. So you can see by implication and by definition, a church is a gathering of people. A family is one thing, but it's got a lot of members. A building is one thing, but it's got a lot of bricks. A body is one thing, but it has a lot of body parts. So through these metaphors and by this definition of the church, we can see that a church is people. A church is the people. It's not a building. It's not an organization necessarily. It's not established by the government, even though we have some kind of standing with the government, like a 501c3, whatever it's called. Uh, We have some kind of standing with the government, but we're not issued by the government. The government doesn't control us. Nor should the church ever try to be a government. The church is a group of people who are saved by Christ and are united together. So by definition, by definition, by implication, the church is people. It's a gathering of God's people. So we've seen the meaning of church as a calling out of God's people. The metaphors for the church imply that we are one unit but many members. And finally, let's look at the members of the church. The members of the church. As we've just said, number one, the members of the church are the church. The members of a church are the church. You cannot separate the idea of Christian from church. 
Those two things cannot be separated. And far too long in our culture, probably for the last hundred years or so, there's been this idea of you can go to some kind of event, some Christian event, you can become a Christian, and then you don't have to become a member of a church. You don't have to be united to a body of people who believe the same thing as you. Have you noticed that in our culture? For over the last hundred years, especially the last 50 years, you can go to some kind of event like a church camp. You come to know the Lord Jesus. Um, maybe you're even baptized. And in some way, you don't bring them into membership and they go live a Christian life on their own. That should never be the case. The idea of a Christian is intrinsically connected to the church. Intrinsically connected to the church. You can't be part of the people of God and not be part of the people of God. How can you be in that group of people and not be part of that group of people? Another way to say this is there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. None of us are meant to live this life alone. How many of you have heard the phrase, I don't like to go to church, I can worship God on the lake? Sure, you can worship God on the lake, but you can't be part of the body of Christ on the lake if you're not gathering with his people. If you're not gathering with his people, the members of the church are the church. And if you're going to be part of the body of Christ, you've got to be connected to the other members of the church. The members of the church are the church. Number two, the members of the church represent Christ in the world. The members of the church represent Christ in the world. What that means is if the world is going to look for what it looks like to be a Christian, they should look to the people of God, the members of a church, the members of the church. We're supposed to represent Christ in this world. If you want to know what a Christian's like, look at a church member. That's the idea. That's the concept. We should look to the church members, the people who are part of the body of Christ to know what it's like to be Jesus. We represent him in this world. We're supposed to live like him, carry out his mission, um, speak the words that he says, which brings us to this third point. The members of the church carry Christ's authority. The members of the church carry Christ's authority. He says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. And now he sends us out to do the very thing that he wants to do. His very goal. We carry his authority. The church is the place that the world needs to look for, for truth. To know what God is, who God is and what he is like. We're the ones that carry the truth. Now, for sure... An individual can read this book on their own, right? We, we believe this is the authority of God. It's God's perfect word given to us. Yet, this book is a lot better when you read it in a group, when you read it alongside other Christians, because it helps you know what it means, keeps you, it helps you to obey it, to live it out. It helps you from deviating from it. So in some sense, or in a true sense, the members of the church carry Christ's authority. We speak on his behalf. We'll get into this later on in the series, but Matthew chapter 16 tells Peter that he's given the keys to the kingdom. Right? If I gave you the keys to the church, what does that mean? It means you're going to be the one that can open that door and let folks in. We're representing Jesus on this earth saying, hey, guys, here's how you become a person of God. Here's how you become the people of God. Come this way. We have the authority to tell you how to get into the people of God. So members of the church are the church. The members of the church represent Christ. The members of the church carry Christ's authority. And then finally, the members of the church complete Christ's mission. We've been handed the baton 
of, of Christ's mission, and we are called to carry that out and complete that mission in the world. We're called to carry that out and complete that mission in the world. We have the message. We have the antidote to the sickness of sin. We're the only ones that have it, and we're the ones that are supposed to carry that out and take it to the world. We're supposed to take it to the world. So as church members, as part of the body of Christ, we are the church, we represent Christ, we have the authority, and we complete his mission. So it begs the question this morning, as we think about what it means to be the church and what it means to be church members, the church is a gathering of God's people, the gathering of God's people, in order to reflect God in the world and complete God's mission in the world. We gather together so that we can look more like him and help other people look like him as well. So as we, as we close up this morning, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song that speaks of us being the church. Um, might we pray? Might you commit to this morning praying for our church, that we might be that light in this community, in a dark world, that we might represent Jesus and find ways that we can help one another represent Jesus and complete his mission in the world. Let's pray.